I haven't really thought about how we're going to open the show this week. <laughs> Maybe we should go like really low key. Like, hi. You're listening to Stomp Tokyo, the cult movies podcast. My name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. That's low key, Scott, really? That's, that's, that's as low as key as I'm going to get. Come on. It's good luck for a mellow groove. You sound like Sammy Davis Jr. is uh, <laughs> opening the, the Playboy Hour or whatever over there. So That's what I'm going for. A mellow <laughs> We're going to do the whole show just like this. Oh, please, no. <laughs> uh, no, actually, we should go energetic and frenetic because we're going to talk about the Muppets. Yes. The Muppets! Which I think... As we agreed in the last episode, uh, probably the best thing to come out of the Muppets franchise for, I don't know what, over a decade? Yeah, in, in quite a while. Um, I mean, what would the last good Muppet project be, would you say? Well, it wasn't Muppets in Space. No. Um, gosh. Well, I like the, the Very Muppet Christmas, which was a TV special they did. I never saw that. Was good. Yeah, that one was 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 uh, it was better than than a lot of the stuff they were doing up to that point. It was uh, it was like by one of the producers of The Simpsons, and it showed <laughs> it was very Simpson esque. Huh. But that's still better than uh, you know being bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I liked Muppets Tonight, but I'm not sure when that came out. When did that Muppets was 96. Tonight? That was 96. So that was yeah. probably well before A Very Muppet Christmas. Yes. Um, the last Muppet movie I think I enjoyed was Muppet Treasure Island. That yeah. was also 96. I think that was sort of the, the last, you know, last good working years for the Muppets. You know, the Muppet Show Muppets. Muppets from Space came around in 99 and pretty much killed it for, you know, for that for that time being. There was the Muppets Wizard of Oz and other things that came out on TV, but um, I think, was it a very Muppets Christmas? Was it? Yeah, there's. it was very Muppets Christmas, not the letters. Not letters Muppets to Santa. Or, yeah, not letters to Santa. That was terrible. Okay. <laughs> okay. Letters to Santa? Bad. Very Muppets <laughs> Christmas? Check. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the uh, the Blu-ray came out, and I, I yes. assume that you got it. I actually have not have not bought it yet, but uh, I did have a chance to watch it last week. Are you still being a collector these days? Not as much. Not yeah. as much. Well, um, yeah. The only reason I bring it up is that Walmart has an exclusive with uh, four finger puppets. It's like. Kermit, Fozzie, Piggy, and Gonzo. Ah, interesting. Ah, uh, see, you are still a collector. <laughs> Don't bullshit me, sir. Or uh, that bleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you're going to pick it up, I would advise picking it up at Walmart. Okay, that, yeah, that's good. No, I mean, I actually watched it last week um, with Tyler Bunch, who we went to college with. Oh, nice. And uh, he was one of the puppeteers on the movie. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he's been uh, sort of one of the supporting puppeteers for, gosh, uh, 10 years now? Uh, probably more than that. Yeah. But, um, uh, um, a long time. He did yes. Bear in the Big Blue House and um, 
somebody's world, somebody's what's that? I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, I mean he he's been a a, a puppeteer for lots of things for yeah. quite a while now. Um, and on the Muppet, on the new Muppet movie, he was you know he's the an assistant puppeteer, which meant that technically he wasn't supposed to actually have any lines, but he does have have a few in the movie. Um, but he he mainly played Thog, the big blue Muppet, right? And uh, he was also the fake Fonzie. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and if the you, fake Fozzie? Fozzie, Fozzie, yes. Yeah. The fake, <laughs> that, I, I don't remember the fake Fonzie, although that would have been cool. <laughs> um, and uh, you've, have you, you've watched the extras on the Blu-ray? I have watched the extras on the Blu-ray. In the making of He's the Muppet that's hosting it. He's, oh, cool. He's JG. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you know we got to watch we we got to watch it with him and uh, you know he could tell us what was what was going on and all the juicy behind the scenes gossip. Yeah, it was fun. So the thing I enjoyed most, other than the movie itself, obviously, um, was the first the the documentary you reference, I guess the the making of. Yes. Um, I enjoy it even more now knowing that Tyler was the the host of it, but. The um, the intro sequences, like the little animated sequences that popped up every so often, were so obviously inspired by the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV series. Yes. Um, I was like, man, if Peter Jones were only alive. <laughs> I think Peter Jones is alive. but no, uh, He's dead. Is he? Wow. He okay. died 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, okay. Simon Jones is still alive, but I guess he wasn't doing the voices. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it was either supposed to be Hitchhikers or there was another kind of parody, uh, parody documentary that they did in Britain. Have you ever, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was also kind of the similar tone. I mean, Hitchhikers may have been very well goofing on that as well, or it was goofing on Hitchhikers. I'm not sure which one came first. I, I can't imagine, you know, given that this is, uh... Peter's, oh gosh, um, Jason Siegel we're talking about. Not Peter Siegel. Yes, on different. <laughs> different Siegel. And I think he might be a Seagull. Anyway, yes. uh, come on. This guy's a nerd. You yeah. know, this was the Checkers Guide to the Galaxy, for sure. Yeah, probably. And, um, uh, and, and, and yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, Henson did work. Yeah, the Henson people did work on Hitchh- on the movie, the Hitchhiker's movie. So I That's suppose right. that it's all kind of in the same ether there. It's all in the family. Uh, I will put some links in the show notes uh, to a couple of clips from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV series that pretty much, you know, showcase that. So if you've got the Blu-ray for the Muppets, you can sort of side-by-side them. Show notes, by the way, can be found at cultmoviespodcast.com and uh, look for the right episode, which is episode 12. A dozen episodes, Scott. Yes. We're on a roll. It's getting good. Um, the other fun thing about the uh, about the Blu-ray was if you paused it, it goes into intermission mode. Did you do that? No. I mean, I, you know, I got it like two days ago, and Christine and I watched the extras, and then we watched the, the first musical number, and then we fell asleep. Gotcha. Because um, we're old. But I'll but, watch it with, with the kids probably um, later today. And we will definitely do that. What does intermission mode do? Well, basically, if you would just pause the movie at any at any time, it uh, 
it basically puts up a thing which says intermission, and then it begins running little skits. Things hmm. start happening. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, they're like, oh, let's have a dance contest, and the Muppets come out and have a dance contest, or, you know, Muppets come in and look from the corners of the of the screen or whatever. Um, we left it running for quite some time as we were talking about other stuff, and it did not seem to repeat over 30 or 40 minutes. So there's a whole bunch of material there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty insane. Yeah. No, That's hardly def- pausing at all. That's not fair. <laughs> Um, no, so that's definitely something to check out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, they also did include a pretty good helping of the uh, deleted scenes, um, you know, including the one with Wanda Sykes and Danny Trejo that were that we saw in the trailer but didn't make the movie. Yeah, I, I did not get to watch those, but I'm yeah. definitely going to go back and do all that stuff. They are oddly in, in the wrong order. Um, so, you know, the whole prison scene is in the deleted scenes before the scene where they get arrested so don't expect it to make sense is what i'm saying it's the muppets yeah i i scoff at your need for chronological order (laughs) um yeah but still it would have been nice to to kind of get get how that how that abandoned plot line which incidentally had like seven cameos in there uh got got cut out Gotta make sacrifices for your art, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it it was Disney. They didn't want the movie to be over 90 minutes. That's, you know, that's always going to be their way. Pretty much. The big movie this week was The Hunger Games. Yes. You went to see it. I saw it. Um, and uh, you've read the books, and I have not. So, uh... So this is going to be a productive conversation. <laughs> well, I mean... You know, basically, both of us know what the story is, so so that's good. Um, what's interesting to me about you know there are obviously predecessors to the Hunger Games, uh, Battle Royale, The Running Man, um, and you can even take it back to uh, there was a movie in the '60s called the The Tenth Victim. You ever seen that movie? Mm-hmm. You have? Okay. Yes, uh, yes, I have. Uh, probably with you, Scott. Probably. Quite possibly. Um, and it's interesting that all these po- you know, all these uh, killer game show movies, almost all of them are, are post-apocalyptic for some reason. And I just find that interesting. Um, well, okay. So um, talk to me about that for a second. I have a, I have a friend who does not like post-apocalyptic movies. You know, she finds them to, to be cheats. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is part of what you're getting at, but she just doesn't like the idea that you have to wipe out civilization in order to get to a point where you can tell the story you want to tell. Uh, it's a cop out. And, and to some extent I can see that, but I, uh, the, the impression I got from the books was that, the Hunger Games is set in a world that's not just post-apocalyptic. It is post-post-post-post, like post-modern apocalyptic, right? Yeah. Like, society's had a chance to rebuild itself to to great extent, to the point where they have cities and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, again, maybe in the book it's a little bit more clear, um, you know, but the technology in the city, in, what do they call it, the capital, 
right. seems to be very high. I mean, it seems to be nanotech, unless I'm missing missing what's what's going on here. Because you know, uh, they're basically making stuff out of nothing. At some, you're, you're not you're not missing anything. That it is supposed to be a highly technologically advanced civilization. Yeah, which is but, why I say it's postmodern apocalyptic. Yeah, um, uh, you know, and it, I mean, I guess the difference is when you usually think of post-apocalyptic, you're thinking, well, the the apocalypse happened ten years from now or twenty years from now, and this is the period immediately after. It seems like whatever happened in in the Hunger Games, it happened farther in the future. You know, it's like two or three hundred years. Then there's the civil war that n- knocks down all the districts, and this is 75 years after that, which we we, we know because it's 74 Hunger Games or whatever. So right. you know we know when the civil war was. So it's not that post-apocalyptic. It's not what you would really call a post-apocalyptic movie. No, not not in not in not in the sense that like society has been completely destroyed. Though it, it, I mean things have apparently been destroyed for the districts. Um, at least that was what I got from them. I mean, correct that they're basically starving. Some districts are, yeah. You know, like there definitely um, is a large disparity between what some of the districts do and, and what other districts do. Um, you know, it's probably been three to four months since I've read the books, and I think, or maybe even longer. I don't, I, I don't recall. At any rate. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of explanation around how much technology they have to transport things back and forth. Like there's, you know, seems to be much more about trains and aircraft than it does about motor vehicles, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, there's this concept that all of the, uh, the districts in this post-apocalyptic, you know, this post-Civil War United States, which is now known as Pan Am, um, are supporting the capital. And, like, you know, District 1 makes all the food and District 2 makes all the clothes, stuff like that. Yeah. So there's definitely this hierarchy of districts, some of which are richer than others, because they happen to be better at certain things than other things. Um but uh, it's definitely a world in which, uh, the, you know, the the 1% and the 99% is probably down to the 99.9% and the 0.1%, you know? Yes. A much larger gap uh, between the income. Um, you know, now, in, in terms of the, the actual movie, I liked it. I thought it was, it was pretty good. Um, I liked it better than, you know, I don't, it's not Twilight all over again, which was barely a real movie um, you know which was only designed for hardcore fans of those of those novels especially the later Twilight movies um, are just just terrible well, having read both series of books the Hunger Games gives you more to sink your teeth into from a plot perspective oh I, I'm sh- I'm sure that you know that's the Twilight true. books are all about does he love me does he not love me why doesn't he love me why doesn't he turn me into a vampire you know it's it's <laughs> It's teenage girl angst. Hunger Games is, you know, teenage girls kicking ass in a highly political and science fictionized world, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other the other difference between them is, 
I mean, the Hunger Games approach to adapting the young adult series is closer to what they did with Harry Potter, where yes, they they cast you know young unknowns as the main characters, but they have a whole bunch of you know older veteran actors backing them up. So you've got Woody Harrelson and uh, uh, Donald Sutherland is in it, Elizabeth Banks, and you know the Twilight quite movies. Quite cast, I have to say. I yeah, mean, it, it, you know. Elizabeth Banks, I've been, you know, really impressed with her since, gosh, the 40-year-old virgin, I think, was the first time I was conscious of who she was. And she's been doing, you know, an awful lot of good stuff. So um, I take it she's pretty good in this. Yeah. I mean, her role is kind of thankless, but, uh, you know, she's playing... Well, that's true for the the book as well. Yeah, that, um, you know, it's not exactly going to be a great role, but, you know... Yeah, she's she's really good at it, um, but you know it, uh, the difference. I mean, I thought the uh, the Harry Potter movies again. I haven't read the books of those, but the movies tended to go off on a lot of digressions that apparently the you know people who had read the books really cared about, mm-hmm. but I didn't think made them particularly good movies. Right, um, and quite frankly, as the movies go on, I can't keep track of the movies. Do a really poor job of introducing who the characters are. You're supposed to already know who the characters are, and that wasn't the case with the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games felt much more like it was its own self-contained movie. You didn't have to read the book to understand what was going on, right. and I was very appreciative of that. Yeah, I think that's just the you know the fact that the story supports it. Yeah, um, that there's some issues with Woody Harrelson's character and his alcoholism which I'm not sure they're going to dive too deep into in the movie movies plural yeah but, um, you know I can imagine things like that will fall by the wayside as as they continue to, to make these films sure um, now the the thing was the, the movie is PG-13 so mm-hmm. in order to kind of get that rating the you know when it gets to the actual kids killing each other part it's not really that brutal so it's no battle um, royale is what it's, you're it's not battle royale by by any means and uh unfortunately one of the ways that they try to get around you know the fight scenes is by going into shaky cam mode uh oh I you know that. yeah so you can't really tell what's going on um which was unfortunate um, but beyond that, it's a it's a pretty good movie. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is going to be a big star. I don't think anybody doubts that. Um, and uh, you know, the 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 plot is passably clever. Um, the ending is pretty good. So you know, all in all, I liked it. Just getting back to Shaky Cam for a second, I think I would rather not see a bloody event than to see it through the eyes of Shaky Cam. Yeah. You know, like there are so many other tricks you can do to get violence sort of off camera. I mean, you know, like if you're going to stab someone, you know, you just have the two actors up close face to face and, you know, a tight close up on their faces as one stabs the other, right? <laughs> you know, there's just, you can have the knife off camera and not, you know, I just think there are other more effective and frankly more pleasant ways from the visual experience to convey violence. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that it it 
definitely was, especially in this movie, just a lazy way to try to get to try to get to the PG thirteen. Quite mm. frankly, um, and that was you know the I mean, the two parts where they go real shaky cam are I guess probably if you've read the book you'll know the the two most obvious ones are you know the the very start of the Hunger Games where they everybody's running towards the cornucopia, mm-hmm. which I, I thought that was actually really clever to have uh, the cornucopia actually looked like a horn of plenty. Um, I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, but, you know, that scene where basically four people get killed there. So, you know, of course, the camera's shaking all over the place during that. And then the second is, you know, the climactic fight on top of the cornucopia um, is also done very shaky cam. And it was kind of unfortunate because those two, those probably should have been two of the most dramatic moments and you really couldn't tell what was going on. So, yeah, that's too bad. What are you going to do? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess the material had to be PG thirteen because it is a young adult novel, right? I mean, that is. Yeah, I mean, not, not yeah. that any of that stuff gets shied away from in in the books, you know. Yeah. I mean, the, especially that last the last scene, the last fight. Oh, gosh, it's brutal all the way through, man. I mean, it is it is some screwed up stuff. Yeah, see, I don't think that came through quite quite the same way in the movie, quite frankly. Um, yeah, I think somebody, some one review I said was that it was the opposite of most of the, the way that most of these novel to movie adaptations go, in that it gets the character moments, the quiet moments right, and the spectacle completely wrong. Mm. I'll have to see uh, it myself to judge whether it was completely wrong, but you know, was, it doesn't. Was that the, was that the, in the Entertainment Weekly? Was that the the one where they? they it might have been. I can't imagine what yeah. what other publication I would have been reading that would have had a review of the Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, I I think I read that same thing that that you read. I'll have to find it. Um, I actually disagreed with some of the stuff they said in there. Like, they talked about the fact that they highlighted, like, one conversation uh, that does not happen in the movie as, you know, one of the things that they kind of got wrong in the movie. But, um, you know, that the whole question of is Katniss really in love with PETA or is she just uh, playing for the cameras, basically? Right. And I got that from the movie without that conversation actually saying it. Like, I thought it was more effective in the movie to not have it stated, you know? Yeah, I mean, frankly, that's a question that, you know, they bounce back and forth on all of that stuff. The relationship, the love triangle between Katniss and Peta and who's the third guy? I don't remember his name. It's played by yeah, Liam. What's his Bard face? or something like that, right? Um, that love triangle continues throughout the entire trilogy. So gotcha. you know, it's it's a pretty um, pretty tortured relationship, and yeah, it probably doesn't need to be overwrought, particularly in the first film where you're trying to bring people on board. Yeah. No, so I I disagreed with that. I thought it was just as fine that they they down. Well, I mean, they didn't even really downplay it. It's just it was just shown, not not. Not told, 
you know? You could see it well, in her body language. Tell. It's one of the primary rules of filmmaking, right? Yeah. You know, you could see it in her body language. You could see that she was always standing a half step away from him even when she was supposed to be, you know, with him, so to speak. You know, that kind of stuff. I think it was fine to just leave it leave it as a visual and not actually have them talk about it. So are you looking forward to the to the next installation? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the movie, I guess, has made a ton of money. Um, I think it's set a record for a non-sequel, non-sequel Friday. Well, that's good to hear. Um, so I'm sure the sequel will be coming next year or as quickly as they can get it. Um, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see what so see what happens. I mean, I have not read the books, but I can kind of guess what the only plot line for the second book could possibly be, which is the 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 capital makes Katniss and Peta fight again in the next year's Hunger Games, which would be the seventy fifth. I mean, is that what happens? On the advice of my counsel, I decline. <laughs> I, I mean, I can look it up, but question. I assume that that has to be what what happens. I mean, uh, that would be the logical the logical thing to happen next. Um, yes, I I believe it's a little. Yes, there is another Hunger Games, um, and they do find a way to make Katniss and Peeta a part of it. Um, yeah. I believe that the, um, the the mechanics by which that happens is something that is was thought out prior to, you know, during the actual writing of the first book. It's not like they wrote the first book and then thought, how do we get these characters back? No, they, they had a plan for that. So, Well, yeah, the, the whole fact that it's the 74th Hunger Games, which means the 75th Hunger Games can be special, seemed like that that's fairly obvious, uh, fairly yeah. obvious that that seemed to be where they were going yes. with that. Uh, you know, Scott, I mean, I don't know how much reading you do these days, but as these things go, I would definitely encourage you to, to, to check Check this yeah. series out. I, I still do a lot of reading, but mostly it's nonfiction these days, quite frankly. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that mostly. But, um, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it's good to sink your teeth into a good novelization, especially if you have it on fairly good authority that you're not wasting your time or your money. Sure. Cabin in the Woods. Yes, Cabin in the Woods. Did that play at South by Southwest? It did. It was the opening night of South by, South by Southwest. And I normally don't attend the um, the big blockbuster sneak preview stuff for a number of reasons. Um, you know, lines, crowds, the fact that I can see it in the theaters mere weeks later, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But this was Joss Whedon. And, you know, uh, he was in attendance, so... I stood in the rain. That was awesome. The first, like, four days of South by Southwest were jokingly referred to as South by Southwest. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, because the, the, Yeah, just torrential, torrential rain for, for the first few days. Um, but, you know, I had no preconceived notions going in. I had seen the trailer. I knew kind of, sort of, what it might be like. Um, and still was managed to be surprised several times throughout the, the movie. Yeah. Uh, what where Joss Whedon excels is in taking conventions and expectations and completely, you know, turning them over. So 
he did that very, very well in this uh, in this particular movie. Um, that's that's what I've heard. Um, I mean, you know, I, you know, the movie must be doing something right when uh, both Fangoria and NPR gave it rapturously positive reviews. Um, but don't tell me what it's about because I don't want to know. No, uh, I, I think you know. Number one. Joss Whedon stood on stage with the entire cast and crew, or not the entire cast and crew, but most of the cast, and said, look, we're glad you love this movie. We, you know, we're very trepidatious about showing it here because we don't want people to spoil it. So tell people how much you love it, and then don't say anything else, (laughs) (laughs) except to go buy tickets. And that's what I'll say to you guys is, this is a great movie. If you love horror movies, you're going to love this. If you love Joss Whedon, you're going to love this. Go see it. It is... In some ways, um, without, you know, having too many headliners, it is kind of a who's who of people who have been in recent Joss Whedon projects. Um, you know, you definitely see some familiar faces. You know, you're not going to see, uh, what's her name? Michelle Keller. You're not going to yeah. see David Boreanaz. You're, you know, those people are not there, but there, there are some fairly big names in the movie. Uh, and having known know nothing about it going in, I was surprised to see them and really, really happy to see them. Uh, <laughs> well, of course, a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Say again. Oh well, of course, there's the pre-Thor Chris Hemsworth. Yes, and he's really good. I mean, it's just the the unknowns are great. The people you know from the the TV series are great. The a-list celebs who are there are great. It's just it's a terrific cast, and they have an awful lot of fun stuff to do. And it, you know, it just unfolds so beautifully. It's like a present in the most beautiful gift wrap you ever have seen. Go see this movie. When does it come out? Uh, April thirteenth, I think. Go see this movie. I'm going to go see it again. <laughs> <laughs> I rarely go out to the movies anymore. Um, what with you know children chained to my ankles most of the time <laughs> that's right that's the symbolism you want <laughs> I, I have them sedated right now so they won't talk during the podcast <laughs> hey remember battlestar galactica i do remember battlestar galactica um quite like that series and Me i too. even liked i liked caprica too you know, um, I have seen all with the last episode of Caprica. <laughs> Should really go back and, and finish that series off. Yeah, the ending was pretty good, I thought. Good, yeah. I'm glad, because it looked... I mean, it got cut off prematurely, right? Uh, it, they didn't get another season, but they did. They were able to finish that season, so... Okay, so they got two full seasons. Uh, no, just one season. Just one season? Or no, they had like a hiatus in the middle, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was okay. one of those That's split a, things. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, because I remember there was like a big middle, like, you know, middle, mid-season finale. Yeah. And then, yeah, okay. And then they came back six months later. Gotcha. As is the, as is the, uh, the fashion these days. I wonder where they got that idea. <laughs> um, I don't know, but, uh. Well, I mean, I'm, more, more obviously it's from the, sort of the British television series, you know, method, yeah, but usually doing also, six episodes at a time. Right. Also, you know, more closer to home lost, you know, moved to shorter seasons punctuated by, by hiatus, which I think worked out relatively well for them. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of time to go do feature films and stuff like that. Well, and it, I, 
you know, we're also seeing shows like Game of Thrones and this season's Spartacus Vengeance have also been shorter seasons, 10 episodes, rather than trying to push to 12 or 20. You know, they spend more money on fewer episodes, which is probably for the best if you're trying to make epic TV. Yeah. Are you watching Game of Thrones? Yes. Yes, I am. Is it? I mean, I just, I can't bring myself to, like, bother. And I'm not sure why I'm apathetic, but it just seems like, I don't know. It seems like a lot of, I'll tell you what it seems like. It seems like a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger-y, baby-oiled bodybuilders, you know, clanging around. Okay, you're thinking of, you're talking about Spartacus now, not Game of Thrones. No, Game of Thrones gives me that impression as well. I guess I just haven't paid a lot of attention to Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I think I think you're confusing the two because Game of Thrones is not that. Game of Thrones is uh, is very uh, is very dramatic series. You know, more more in the the mold of Lord of the Rings. Well, I'm not sure why why I get that impression of Game of Thrones. I mean, I, well, uh, there there is one. I mean, of the of the various plots that are going on, there is one plot that has to do with barbarians. Um, so there is one part that's taking place in the desert, but the majority well, the, of it is the publicity shots I've seen for it. All sort of, you know, that fire lit, dark, you know, I don't know, medieval torture scene, dirt floor. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going stream of consciousness now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that may be what the posters look like, but no, the 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 show is the show is solid. You should see it. All right. Well, maybe I'll. Is it available on iTunes yet? Uh, I believe yes. Yes, it is. Well, then maybe I will uh, endeavor to download the first episode and see if it grabs me. Yeah, the pilot was really good, so that is a good place to start. Yeah, and I, I mean George R. R. Martin, um, one of my favorite uh, editors, if not authors. I mean, he edited and wrote uh, large portions of the Wild Cards. You know, novelization series. So I'm, I'm definitely on board with the creative. It's just, I don't know. I don't know, Scott. It's only ten episodes. Just watch. Get it. off my lawn. <laughs> um, anyway, so wow, that was a digression. Let's talk about the uh, Battlestar Galactica again. Yes, that's what we came to talk about. Some BSG. Yes, and uh, that there's a new prequel called. Blood and Chrome. And no one seems to be exactly sure what Blood and Chrome is at this point. Well, from just gleaning from the trailer, you know, that we will link to in the show notes, um, it appears to be, if not during the Cylon War, then immediately the days preceding the Cylon War. Yeah, I, I assume it, it is the first Cylon War, because we see original Cylon ships flying around. So. Right, and we see um, a, a young Captain Adama, right? Yes, that's supposed to be William Adama. So we, yes. we, see his, his, we see that his ship is, is marked Husker, so that's him. Well, and it has his name. Yeah. It says Adama on it, and, you know, we see a... Young, you know, uh, handsome Latino actor, you know, in, prominently featured in several scenes. And I don't know. The trailer doesn't really give a lot away. It's a lot of action, a lot of things blowing up, a lot of people looking 
you know, harried and stressed under low lighting and, you know, LED. A lot of people being knocked to the ground, it looked like. You know, stuff like that. Well, that's what robots do. Yes, they knock people down. Um, You know, it it looks very exciting. Um, Apparently, the the question is, is is this going to be shown on as a TV movie or is it going to be a web series? And there have been... uh, there have been conflicting conflicting reports on what's going to happen with the series. I don't know. It's tough to think why you would put that much money and production value into a web series, but I don't know, but it could be wrong. Yeah. You'd think that they would at least at some point show it on show it on TV. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, you know, whenever wherever it shows up. Um, but maybe sci-fi thinks, you know, if they're not going to if they're not if it's not going to go to series, it's a good way to attract people to their website. They might be. They might be right. Yeah. Somebody um, clearly thinks that the franchise has legs, despite what I assume was the disappointing performance of Caprica. Yeah. And let's face it. I mean, after after Battlestar Galactica, a sort of slow-moving political drama, political and personal drama soap opera about life before the Cylon War was not exactly going to thrill people. Yeah, but after the um, sort of the excitement of a big sweeping series like that, going back and examining the beginnings of the site, you know, that that's only going to appeal to a certain number of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree that it was never going to be the most popular thing in the world. And maybe they shouldn't have spent quite as much money on it as they did. Look beautiful. Yeah. But if it had been a cheaper show, it might've lasted longer. Quite possible. Well, all right. So, you know, we'll keep our eye on Blood and Chrome as it gets closer. No, I haven't seen any real journalism on it, like when it's supposed to come out or like there's no dates on the trailer. No, there's no date. Apparently still no date. There's a show I've been watching recently that has a very, it's very cheap show to shoot, I'm sure. Uh, Comic Book Men. Yes, the Kevin Smith show. Um, I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, I know it's there on AMC. So I guess originally it was a podcast. Um, they have a podcast called Comic Book Men, which basically is Kevin Smith talking to... Yeah, I think the the podcast is called Secret Stash. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's based on the fact that Kevin Smith owns a comic book store in Red Bank, New Jersey called Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. It's run by personal friends of his um, and most fascinatingly to me uh, the um, there's a guy whose name comes up in just about every every Kevin Smith movie Walt Flanagan yeah um, Walt is a real person runs the show or runs the store and is actually a fairly knowledgeable and knowledgeable you know comic book geek but also a fairly shrewd businessman. Um, and so the the show, which is six episodes, miniseries, I guess it's airing on like A&E or Bravo or something? No, AMC. AMC, thank you. It's on right after Walking Dead, or was on right after Walking Dead. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just sort of slice-of-life stuff that um, I think the main attraction for, for geeks is the fact that other than the fact that it features people you've seen in Kevin Smith movies and occasionally Kevin Smith himself and blah, 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 is that every so often people will come into the store and try to sell things. And, you know, some it's sort of like 
Geek Antiques Roadshow, you know, here are these comics. They are old. They must be worth something. And Walt will say, you know, there's haggling. The haggling commences. Um, and, and I don't know. If you're into cult movies, as you, God, I sure hope you are if you're listening to this, uh, it's really fascinating to watch Walt go, well, this is actually worth blah, blah, blah. And since that's what I could sell it for, I'm going to offer you blah, 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 minus $100. Um, and <laughs> there's sort of a schadenfreude of watching people's faces fall as they, you know, <laughs> as they're, they only are offered, you know, half of what they think they should, probably should be getting for it. But um, interesting, interesting show. And, uh, you know, one of those reality series that makes you believe that reality television is not completely evil. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet, but I think it's, it's piling up on the DVR. At some point when I get bored, I'll probably, I'll probably watch it. Well, it just makes me think of my own comic book collection, uh, moldering in a storage, a climate controlled storage unit. Uh, but not something I, you know, I probably have 10, 15 lawn boxes sitting in a storage unit with comics going back from when did I start collecting? Um, the eighties at some point, yeah, like probably 84, 85. When did Batman 400 come out? Uh, that was probably in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, is Batman issue 400 still considered like a, you know, sort of a seminal comic? Uh, not so much. It was 1986. Um, that was when Rachel Ghoul lets all the villains out of Arkham. Yeah, and it's got, you know, an introduction by Stephen King, and it's, you know, like every two pages, it's illustrated by somebody different. Yeah. So it's got Art Adams, Terry Austin, Brian Bolland, John Byrne, um, who else do I know? Joe Kubert, um, Rick Leonardi, George Perez, Bill Sinkiewicz, um, Tom Sutton, you know, a bunch of, bunch of you know, top-notch comic names. And it was, it was a big freaking deal at the time. Yeah, I don't know that I, I hear very much about it anymore. Sorry. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about it. I enjoyed reading it about eight zillion times. Um, and, you know, it... Uh, so that's my collection. It's, you know, probably 30 years worth of back stuff. Um, and I start, stopped collecting in 2005. When was Elizabeth born? 2006. So, you know, 1986 to 2006. Yeah. 20 years worth of comics, which are now 25, 26 years old. Yeah. What do you do with a collection like that? I mean, I'm I'm guessing they're probably not worth a whole lot. It's mostly runs of X-Men, Batman, Superman. Yeah. Power Pack. And that's, that's the problem is that if, you know, the only stuff that's worth anything, any big money is going to be, you know, pre-World War II or first appearances in the 50s or 60s. Um, even, like, the first appearance of Wolverine isn't worth huge amounts of money. Enough that it's worth selling it on eBay, but not huge amounts of money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, unless you can find someone who will take them, you know, I think they're probably destined for the garbage heap. Yeah. So is that what people do? They sell collections on eBay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are those, but, you know, 
good luck, you know, it's going to be a comp- there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to sell it that way. So, you know, is it really worth it? I don't know. Um, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to move. So, I think that that's going to be the uh, the last the last gasp for the four or five boxes that I still have left. I don't think they're going to. Uh, I don't think they're going to survive. I'm just going to throw most of them out. Um, maybe there might be a few things I'll try to put up on eBay, but they'll have to sell pretty quick to make it worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you know I should probably just. I mean, I don't know if you recall this, but I guess it was probably 10, 15 years ago that we, you know, not when I'm in 15, it was probably seven or eight years ago that we went through my entire collection and sorted them out. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, that I remember was, that. That was, a, <laughs> that was a long day. Um, but it was awesome to have that, you know, that big meeting room to do that in. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, I've got this collection. I, I, I imagine there's some fairly interesting rare stuff in there. I had really weird eclectic tastes in like independent comics. Um, but yeah, as a whole, I'm not expecting that, you know, the run of X-Men through the, through the nineties is really worth very much. Uh, especially since, you know, I, I was not keeping these things in vacuum-sealed room. I mean, these were re- reading comics for the most part. Yeah. But these days, there's, uh, there's a, lot, uh, a lot of other options for, for reading comics, if that's what you want to do. You know, on the iPad. Yeah, but I mean... The, the, What's what's available out there, and how much money are you going to spend on digital editions of stuff? Yeah. Well, you know, again, you're only going to buy it if you're intending to read it. So, you know, it kind of ends up being a, uh, you know, it's not like I'm going to try to replace every comic I own right now by buying them all at once. If I have a hankering to read something, then I'll probably go out and, and buy it. And if it's not available to buy, there are other options, of course. Um, yeah. Um, you know, how robust are those other options? That's that's where I think Marvel is really falling down, a Marvel and DC, is, you know, how many of these comics from the, the 80s and 90s and, and more recently are really available and at what price? You know, let's say I do want to... I want to take every issue of, you know, let's say the, the run of... Batman and Superman from and X Men, let's say from 1985 to 2005, mm-hmm. and and have digital copies so that I don't feel so bad about throwing you know my physical copies away. You know, number one, could I do that um, through you know copyright breaking means? You know, is are the archives that robust? Yes. Really? Oh God, yes. Because I have done no research on this. <laughs> yes, you you are you are way behind. I mean, not you know. Uh, yes, the 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 the, correct, the answer is yes. Anything that's that mainstream, I can absolutely guarantee you, you can find. Power pack. Yes. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, you have to go really far down before you start going. Oh, now I now I can't find that. Huh. Um. Yes, and you know, and and the the pay options, you know, through Comicsology that Marvel and DC have been doing, they've been doing a, a pretty healthy 
job of filling in back issues. Not comprehensive back to 1985, but they are tending to hit all the major... They do tend to hit all the major storylines, and every now and then, you know, both Marvel and DC will do, you know, now you can buy this, you know, you can buy all these, these, you know, you can buy this entire run for 99 cent each, you know, and stuff like that. 99 cents per comic? Per comic, yes. Well, I mean, Uh, that's, that's about what I would be willing to pay. Yeah. Something along the lines of, of 99 cents per comic for a digital edition. Yeah. Um, so comiXology is the, is the reader that you use? Yes. Um, for, you know, that's that's the legal option. The uh, well, uh, because it's certainly not the only comic reader I've seen out there. No, but I think it is. I think it is the best um, okay. by by quite a lot. I tried them all early on, um, but comic Comicsology is definitely the one that's pulled out from the pack, and uh-huh. um, they've got almost all the major publishers except for Dark Horse at this at this stage. Dark Horse has their own reader. Uh, Dark Horse is doing a pretty good job of going back into their archives and putting putting everything out, so that's nice too. Interesting. Um, they're they're getting there, not not entirely there, but they're getting there. And so, what do you like for the what shall we say independent comics? Uh, comic Zeal Four, I think, is what I use on the iPad. Um, comic Book Lover is for the Mac. You must have Comic Book Lover, right? Probably. I mean, I. I have not really gotten into the reading comics again digitally. Yeah. Number one, because I don't have an iPad. Christina has an iPad, and you know I could use that, but that's her machine. And until yeah. I get to the point where I have an iPad of my own, which probably won't be too long given the, the new Retina Display one. Yeah, the Retina Display one is going to make reading comics a lot better than the iPad 2, quite frankly. So that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, she has an iPad one, you know. And oh. We're just, yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you know, some of us pay a laptop a month in childcare fees, sir. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Retina display is going to make a huge difference for making small text readable. Yeah. Which is a bit of a problem on the iPad iPad two even. Yeah. So. So do you find yourself doing a lot of like pinch and zoom type stuff? No, not really. Um, Comic Zeal Four for the for the illegal options uh, is pretty good about blowing it up into a, a good uh, compromise where you can still read it, but it's a little small. Um, with Comicsology, they've got a guided view where it will show you each panel in the context of the page. Interesting. And that kind of always keeps it zoomed in close enough that you can still you can still read it. Um, so, you know, you're basically tapping to go from panel to panel. Um, both of those options, neither one is, is perfect, but they are very readable compromises. Um, but having a retina display will make both of those compromises even better, I think. Yeah. Well, I've gotten to the point in my life where I think uh, I can let go of the physical stuff. I'm not worried about losing the investment that I made, you know? But having access to those comics, even if I haven't read them in 10 years, I don't know. I'm paying $50 a month for a storage unit that has other stuff in it, but mostly it's the comics. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's the reason I have the storage unit. If I didn't have the, the comics, I probably wouldn't have the storage unit and would have either thrown or sold the rest of the stuff away. So, um, all right. Well, that's a good thing to look into. It's, uh, 
I'm sure I have comics in there that individually are worth something. Um, the question is, you know, how do I weed those out? You know, like, uh, like Wizard Magazine isn't even still publishing anymore, is it? No, they're completely gone. So that's all done online, you know, comic values and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Christina will be happy to hear that I'm considering throwing some things away. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm probably going to donate them, right? I mean, yeah, there there are kids out there who will want to read read these comics. There's got to be a library or something. That, do you think like, even libraries want want these collections? No, I kind of no. doubt it. Like homeless shelters? No, I no? doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no like battered women and children's shelters that wants a bunch of comics. I don't know. I mean, you could look around and see, but, you know, they're still going to have to sell them, and I don't know how much anybody can sell individual comic books for. For the kids to read, Scott. Yeah. I haven't really thought about it, so... Granted, I'm not going to give them anything gruesome, but, um, you know, they're not going to get Spawn or... uh, Name another gruesome comic from the 90s. I don't know. There were a couple. Uh, Punisher, right? Punisher. (laughs) I'm not going to give them Garth Ennis Punisher. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Power Pack. Now, who am I kidding? I'm never getting rid of power. <laughs> yes, you can hold on to that. Oh yes, and now I must make a note to myself to uh, to link to to power pack. Well, we we've talked done some good talking this week. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we let these fine people go? No, I I think that just about wraps it up for this week. I, I have something I want to mention actually. Uh, reader feedback. We would love to have some. We get nice tweets that say this was a good episode this week, blah, blah, blah. But if you have, you know, if you've been thinking to yourself as we've been talking, I have an opinion on that. We would actually like to hear that opinion. Uh, so please uh, get in touch with us at theguys at stomptokyo.com or um, tweet at us. I am stomptokyo on Twitter and Scott is S-C-O-P-I on Twitter. Scopi. All right. Well, thank you once again for listening this week. We've had a great time. My name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. And we will see you next time. Thank you.